I am so excited about sharing my pulpit today, this pulpit, because it's really not only mine, it's yours. But I'm going to start just for a moment because we are in this series called Finding Jesus. How many have ever lost Jesus before? Anybody ever lost Jesus? And your struggle is not, your struggle is not that Jesus is lost. Like, where is Jesus? You don't like send an APB out for Jesus. You don't do that. Because if, if, if there is lostness that's going on, I'm the one that's lost. And I've called you during the season to answer this question and ask others to answer it. Hashtag, are you lost? Are you lost? Uh, you need to ask the question. You might say, you know, well, what if I ask people this? We need, to, we need to build the conversation. There are a lot of lost people in the world. Have you seen that? All of the anger, all of the offense that's in our world today. The offense is massive. It's hard to talk to people about anything because they're offended so swiftly. But we have been saved through the grace and the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. We don't have room to stay in that. Offense will leave you lost. Did I get an amen? I said offense will leave you lost. Sin will leave you lost. The flesh will leave you lost. We need Jesus. We need to find Jesus. We need to find him again. We're also celebrating during this Advent season. Last week, we lit the candle of hope. Today, we've lit the candle of joy. Somebody thank God for joy. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands for joy. Clap your hands. No, watch. Watch this. Again, it feels really good when you clap your hands, okay? But you got to do it like a crazy person, okay? Ready? Clap your hands. Yeah! Yeah! Woo-hoo! Yeah. Okay, stop. Stop. I don't want you to have too much joy, all right? So... Really, can you praise God enough? People say, why do people doing that? Some of you, I was watching some of you, you are really weird when you worship God, okay? You're just shouting and dancing and, you know, you're just crazy people. So uh, uh, I, I, I like that teaching, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all your lands. We should be joyful, right? We should be. I mean, if anybody has a reason to be joyful, I think we have a reason to have joy, Do not be afraid because, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Read that with me. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Great joy. Good tidings. I got good news for you of great joy. All the news is bad. Hey, we're the folks that have good news. You might say, things are getting really bad. Well, even when things get bad, they're getting good because Jesus is coming back. Anybody excited about it? Oh, no, Jesus is coming back. No, the word of God says, comfort one another with these words. Comfort. You should be comforted by the understanding. But these are good tidings. Don't be afraid because I bring you good tidings. So it's almost like he's comparing your fear to your joy. It's hard to walk in fear and have joy at the same time. Am I right? When you're living in fear, and, and we're in a world right now that is incredibly afraid. I'm not, I'm not telling you just to ignore what's going on. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is if you are constantly in fear, it will also exacerbate anxiety and depression. Am I right? How many have ever had that? The stories are so painful and so difficult. Uh, and you watch the news, and by the time you've heard all of the stats, it's like, oh, no, what's going on? Jesus, where are you? Jesus is still on the throne. And I am still redeemed. Amen? So if there's anything that I have learned in my... Yeah, I'm 100 today. No, no I'm not. I'm, I am... People always want to know, how old are you? I'm 60 years old today. All right? 60. All right? And I'm really... I'm thankful for being 60. I am. I'm just... It's just weird. It's really weird, you know? I got two older brothers. I enjoyed watching them turn 60 before me. Uh, and so 60 is a little bit weird. And let me, there's one thing that's true about me being 60, and that is this. I know more stuff than I used to know. Amen. I do. I do. I have experienced some things in my life. Has anybody changed through the years? Has anybody changed? I am better right now. That's why 60 looks so good on me. I didn't get an amen there. And here's one of the things that I've learned. I cannot afford to lose my joy. Can't afford that. So I lost my job. Okay, but did you lose your joy? You can lose your job, but don't lose your joy. And here's a scripture that I'll share. Uh, James 1 and 2. My brethren, count it all joy. 
Count it all joy. Just say those words. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We should be patient people. Anybody been impatient? How many have been? Go ahead. Point at somebody in the room that is really impatient. Would you do that? No. Okay. Now, now stop that. Stop that. Okay. So your trials produce patience. Say this. We're going to get through this. Say it. We're going to get through this. Say, say it out loud. We're going to get through it. Say it loud enough to disturb the sleeping person that's next to you, okay? We're going to get through this. There you go. I had a lot of sleeping people. I didn't realize that. Produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So uh, some of you are going through a difficult season. And when I say that you're going through a difficult season, what I'm saying is... That in going through a difficult season, life is chaotic. Chaotic is confusion. And Jesus came into a chaotic world. When everything is all over the world, all over the house, when everything is a mess, what you need is to find Jesus. So I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to welcome my favorite preacher, our associate pastor. Also, my son, Preston, is coming to share the word. Uh, just warning, hands up, chin down. Okay, all right. Okay, so. yeah, we had, yeah, we had fun first service. Um, yeah, uh, so if you're, if you're taking notes, which I expect uh, a lot of you are, um, you can go ahead and yeah, uh, title this, Finding God in the Chaos. Finding God in the Chaos. I started a, um, a Facebook group uh, Almost, I guess, right around two months ago. Anybody that's a part of Savage Dads in the room? Anybody? Yeah, there's a bunch of yeah, bunch of guys. If you don't know about the Savage Dads Facebook group, um, man, you got to get on it, right? It's just, it's so good what God's doing in that group. Um, some of which I can't even share just because um, I don't know. So, to a fault, sometimes I think. I jump in with both feet way too fast. And I started this group kind of just out of a nudge from the Holy Spirit. You know, like, you know, like when you're like, you're riding bumper cars and somebody just kind of nudges you, like bumps you, and you end up in another lane. And that's kind of what happened, like leading into Savage Dads. It just felt like um, the Holy Spirit was nudging me. So without really a, any kind of, Artwork, logo, anything, having no idea what Savage Dads was going to be. I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot of things like that, though. Um, uh, that's kind of how I got into my first um, mixed martial arts fight. I was like, I think I want to do that. I'd already been training for a while, so it wasn't like completely crazy. But like a few few weeks later, I was getting punched in the face. And um, so that might also be a reason why I jump in with both feet on some things, because maybe... I get punched in the face for fun, and um, I just don't think some things through as, as, best, as best as I could or should. But I've, Savage Dance has really been really great, to be honest. Had no idea what it was going to be. Had no idea what the format was or anything like that. I just knew that God was um, putting something on my heart. And really what it is is it's, it's a group of really, as of this morning, it was almost 800 men now. And a little less than like, yeah, in a little less than two months, we've got 800 men who are saying they're committed to being savages at fatherhood. And this is the illustration or the, the uh, image is, you ever seen like a cheetah chasing down the gazelle? And it's just digging. And you look behind the cheetah at the, their back feet and literally dirt is flying, right? Because they're running so fast and so hard. Because the truth is if they don't catch the gazelle, they don't get to eat. And if they don't get to eat, then they don't get to live. And the imagery for savage dads is we've got to be savages when it comes to fatherhood. We have to decide, you know what, if I'm not a great father, not good, I've got to be great. I've got to be excellent. Why? Because a whole human being depends on my excellence at fatherhood. The reason why I think Savage Dads is so good is because there's so many dads that don't have dads. So they've never had some 
any, any level of like example for being a dad, what that means. And a lot of guys grow up with moms in the house, and then they have kids of their own. And one, either their dad ditched them when they were little, so they think that's kind of normal. So it's like really easy to like just, just beat the street, you know, like get out when things get tough. Or they're trying to stick it out, but all they, they don't really have an example for a father. All they have is an example for a mother. And because they don't want to be a woman, they don't want to be a mom, they want to be a dad, they want to do the exact opposite of whatever a mom is. So if, if they remember mom saying that she loves them all the time, well, that must be what moms do. Dads don't do that. Or if mom tucked you in, well, that must be what dads do. Dads don't do that. If mom was emotional and, well, dads don't do that. Mom prayed with you. Well, dads don't do that. So, like, they get this really foggy illustration of what a dad is supposed to be. And then, like, this cycle just gets created. And so what we're trying to do, what we are doing with Savage Dads is, man, we're just pouring into fathers. And guys are going on this page. And, like, we've got such huge vision. If I could, if I could be really honest, I don't know that I've ever had a moment in my life where I felt more on purpose than with what's going on in Savage Dads. And like, um, we've got such huge vision um, because it's not just biological dads either. It's uncles and it's, and it's guys who want to be dads, you know? It's guys who are like, you know what? I need to learn this before my my kid gets here and I screw them up. Right? I think some of the most savage dads there are are stepdads or adoptive dads. People who say, you know what? You don't have my biology. You don't have like the same blood as I have. You're not my biological kid. But you know what? I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to treat you like you are. I'm going to teach you all the things that you need to know. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you like you're mine. Now, we're talking about, I, I don't call them stepdads. I call them step-up dads. Guys that are willing to step up, step into a position that they might not have really thought they were supposed to fill. They didn't see it coming, but they said, you know what? I love this kid, man. That's my kid. I don't care, I don't care how he was made. This, this kid is mine. And they take ownership. I love those guys. And so that's really what we're talking about Today is this guy named Joseph. And it's this incredible story. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph, but we know, we know that you know, he was um, a carpenter. When I was a kid, I thought it was a carpenter. Like, I thought he, like, made carpet. Like, when I was a kid. Like, in my little kid brain, I, like, saw Joseph sitting on, like, rolls of carpet. Because I didn't know what a carpenter was. I know, somebody said, oh. I learned what a carpenter was like six months ago, but um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so he, we know that he was a carpenter. We know that he was um, engaged to be married to Mary. Um, we know just a few things about him. We're going to get into his story a little bit, but I, knowing what we know and knowing that he was engaged to be married and knowing the time that they were in, it was a really chaotic time in history. Before we even get into his story about how chaotic his story was, we have to understand that it was a really chaotic time in history with, with Herod and, like, I mean, the guy's willing to kill babies, like, real, live, breathing kids. At one point, he'll say, you know, kill all the kids, two and under. Like, two and under? You're going to send people out to kill kids, two and under? That, it was a crazy, chaotic time. But then you've got this story you know, one of the things that I've learned about dads is dads, and this isn't just my experience, but it's, it's an experience across the board. Whether you know it or not, dads are stressed out. Can I get a dad amen? Dads are stressed out. We handle things, deal with things, that, and a lot of us don't know how to express what's going on inside because some of us think it just means that we're wimps and that we're less than men if we talk about it talk about what's going on inside of us. But dads have a lot going on. 
A lot of dads feel like failures because, you know what, your kid wants a specific kind of bicycle, but man, that's just out of budget. A lot of, a lot of dads, they, they want to make the extra money, but then they're balancing, man, if I make the extra money, I'm not spending time with my kids, so how do I walk this, this balance beam? So then you take that, and then you multiply it exponentially for, for Joseph. Because now you have to understand that Joseph isn't just becoming a dad or a step-up dad, but he's a step-up dad for the son of God. So he's saying, you know what, okay, I'm going to be the dad to the son of God. I mean, like, I'm going to teach the Savior of the world how to take his first step. You know? We're going to teach the Savior of the world how to throw a spiral. I don't know if they had that in Bethlehem. But it, yeah, it needs to be taught. He had these moments. He was going to have these moments where he just knew, man, I, okay, so like, I've got a three-year-old. And I remember when she was just learning how to walk. And especially for parents who have only one kid. It's your first kid. You guys understand, your first kid, you don't want them to fall down. You're pretty sure they're made out of glass. And if they fall down, they're just, just going to fall to pieces. Can you imagine if your first kid was Jesus who was going to need to save the whole world? He walks too close to a set of stairs. You're freaking out. Because now if he falls down them stairs, the whole world might not get saved. Like how, how much stress was Joseph under? We often talk about Mary, Mary being, you know, chosen, which, you know, she was, and it's a really incredible story. An angel comes to her, tells her that she's going to, she's going to um, get pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and he was going to be named Jesus. He's going to be the Savior of the world. She has this really awesome, this uh, awesome response. She's like, I'm a, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord. You know, a lot of us, like, we wonder why God won't use us more. It's really what it comes down to is we won't say yes enough. We don't say yes. Like, oh, man, that must have been an incredible moment. An angel comes and tells her that she's going to be, she's going to be the mom to the son of God. Okay, it sounds cool, but it's also absolutely mind-blowingly crazy, right? It's absolutely crazy, especially considering the time that she's in, where that's not going to be cool. It's not the U.S. in 2020. It's not cool to be, to be pregnant and not married. It's not okay. See, a lot of us were like, man, I just want God to use me in such great ways. Okay, get a jar of peanut butter. And then go get a jar of some jelly and get some Ziploc bags. Now make some sandwiches and pass them out to people who are hungry. If you can say yes to that, then maybe he'll start asking you to say yes to some bigger things. The problem, it, the problem with most of us is we're not really willing to say yes to the small things. So if we're not willing to say yes to the little things, how is he going to come down and say, hey, guess what? You're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You're going to... If you can't say yes to peanut butter and jelly, how are you going to say yes to a virgin birth? We've got to check ourselves. Say yes. Yes. So I think Mary's pretty awesome. It's incredible. Also, it's fun when you like look at pictures like, like artists that have drawn like the, the, the disciples and they all have like these gray beards and stuff. But when like, when you look at it historically, they were probably like all teenagers. I say like Jesus is the first youth pastor. <laughs> and he had like mostly the bad kids. Because <laughs> the disciples, the reason why they weren't, the reason why they could like follow Jesus is because they weren't doing anything that they had to do. <laughs> like, hey, follow me. Okay. They had all like flunked out of like Torah school. You know, like they didn't memorize the Torah like they were supposed to. Like, they, we think, a lot of times we think they're like super spiritual, but they kept screwing up. 
Like at one point, Jesus calls one of them Satan. Like, get behind me, Satan. Okay. I mean, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings or anything. God, you have to call me Satan. Like in front of my friends. You know? <laughs> then we get Joseph here. And we're going to end up getting into the story of Joseph. But Joseph is, his story is similar to Mary in that he was somebody that was willing to say yes. But he, he had to face a lot of chaos, and that's what we want to get into. Joseph finds himself in the middle of chaos, but the way he responded to his situation was like a perfect balance of power and grace, right? A perfect balance. You know, today I want to highlight, we're going to highlight three specific things that we can learn from Joseph in the middle of chaos. Anybody feel chaos this year? Anybody like ready for chaos to be over? Hope, hopefully 2021 brings something different. There's no, there's no like, there's no guarantee though. I don't want to be like the bearer of bad news. There's no guarantee that anything's going to change in January. So we have to be ready and be willing to do some things in the middle of chaos. Otherwise, otherwise we're going to get depressed. You know, we're going to get, we're going to get all messed up. So there are three things. Anybody lost a job or lost some hours, you know, lost some faith, lost a loved one? Anybody's family feel like chaos in 2020? So if you're there, you're normal, first of all. It's all right. We're going to talk about three things that you can do, no matter what chaos you're going through, no matter what you're going through. Sometimes we get overwhelmed. And it's like, man, I have to do this. This is the thing that is required of me. And that overwhelms us even more. Instead of, I want to encourage you guys, instead of looking at is required, look at what's possible. Start with what's possible. These are three things that are possible for everybody in the room, no matter where you are, no matter what situation you're in, no matter how chaotic it is. First thing is be kind. You'll see the story of Jesus' father learning of the impending birth in Matthew 1. What's the problem? He wasn't married to Mary yet. So we're looking at Matthew 1, 18 and 19. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I'm going to read it. In another version, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, right? Because he was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So there's two things I want to pull out here. First, according to law, he was allowed to shame her publicly. He was allowed to put all of her business out there and be like, this is who I was supposed to be, be marrying, but she went and got herself pregnant. Technically, he was allowed to do that. But before Jesus was ever born, before Jesus came and showed us what grace was, grace was already in the heart of Joseph because he chose to protect her. And it sounds weird to say he was going to divorce her quietly or in secret behind closed doors, but he was going to break off the engagement. Why does it say divorce? Because um, culturally speaking, when you were betrothed or engaged, you were, you were already together. I know like these days people are like, Oh, she's not married. She's still free game, you know, like, but here, no. So he basically had to break a contract behind closed doors. He was going to break the marriage contract. So he could shame her, which was law, or he could protect her, which was grace. So he chose not to expose her. He chose, instead, he chose kindness. Kindness is the quality of being friendly 
generous and considerate. You know, considering other people's wants and needs. See, kindness seems to be a lost art. But if we're going to really be Jesus' disciples, we've got to be professionals at kindness. Christians ought to be the nicest people on the planet. John 13, 35. By this they will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Not... Not because you pray enough, not because you preach, not because you lead committees, but because you love. Love. Another way that we could say this is by this you will know your, they will know that you're my disciples if you're kind to one another. If you're nice, people will know that you are disciples of Jesus. You know, I've, I posed a question a couple days ago in my Savage Dads group. Like asking, the question was basically like, what is your struggle when it comes to being a spiritual leader in your house? Which I know a lot of people don't even like the term spiritual leader because we think that that means we think the, like the men are more important. But this is the illustration, the imagery that I get for leading. It's kind of like, I know we don't get a whole lot of snow around here, but anybody ever been in the, or seen like a fresh snow? And it's like, it's like nice and deep. The leading is walking in the snow and letting your kid or your wife take steps in the steps that you just took in, right? So you're taking steps, and you're showing them where to go. So the question was, how, do we, how are we able to lead? And this is what I came up with. If you want to lead your family, if you want to be a spiritual leader in your home, you've got to pray with them got to pray. You've got to connect your spirit to the spirit of God. And there's something really important that happens when you pray. One thing that's really important that happens when you pray is you get to know what's really going on in the hearts of your family. You know what's funny is I've been doing kids ministry for a few years. And y'all might not know it. If you have kids, your kids will tell on you. Every single one of them, they will tell on you. And I'll tell you when they tell on you. When I go, does anybody have prayer requests? And they're like, I got me some prayer requests. And I'm like, all right, let's pray. What do you want to pray about? Like, well, my goldfish, he died. And my mom and dad, they yell at each other too much. They lump it all together. <laughs> it's, like, it's like seamless. It's just if you want to, if you really want to know what's going on in the hearts of your kids, pray with them. Make a habit of it. It's like we're gonna go get ready for bed. Let's get PJs on. Let's go potty. My kids three, so let's go potty. Then we get PJs on. Then we brush our teeth and then we pray. That's what you do. Praying has to be as important as brushing your teeth. It just has to be. It has to be. The only reason you don't pray with your kids is because you don't really think it's important. For a three-year-old, for a three-year-old, it literally takes 30 seconds. That's all. And for older kids, I don't feel like doing it. I don't care. You make them go to school, don't you? If you have to do your math homework, you got to pray too. This is the thing. You can get into heaven without arithmetic. You can't without a relationship with God. So pray with your family. Read the word with your family. There are too many devotions that are, are hard copies and on an app. For you to make up an excuse why you shouldn't be reading the word of God with your family. There just simply isn't an excuse. There are apps that will give you reminders so you don't even have to remember. They take all of the excuses out. This is what you're going to read. Read this now. Bing! You didn't read yesterday. <laughs> Gotta be kind. 
got to pray. This is how, this is how you're a spiritual leader. Pray with your family. Read the word. Then do the word. How do you do the word? Is be kind. Be kind to people. It's Matthew 25. Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about separating sheep and goats. And he gets into um, feeding the hungry, giving water to those who are thirsty, and essentially befriending people who are alone. You should, we should be doing that with our families. We should be doing that and letting our kids see us do it. You want to lead your families? Make a point to love people. This is a funny thing. It's December. It's not even weird to be nice to people right now. Like some people might get super weirded out come like, I don't know, March. But right now, if you make, if you make like your neighbor some cookies or even just go buy them because of COVID, go get them from the grocery store. They're all sealed up. Put them in a little tin. Say, hey, just Merry Christmas. Just wanted to let you guys know we're thankful that you guys are our neighbors. That's not even weird right now. If you can't be nice and kind to your neighbors in December, you're probably not doing it in April. So let's take... December as a springboard, decide, you know what, I'm going to be nice and we're going to do it as a family. Once a month, let's make a commitment as a family. Once a month, we're going to do something for our neighbors, something for, for our friends, something for people we don't like. We're just going to be kind to them anyway. Those are probably the people you need to be kind to the most anyway. Like, love your enemies. Most of us don't think of, like, that we have any, any enemies because nobody's actually, like, physically trying to hurt us. But we have a lot of people that just get on our nerves. Those are your enemies, people that annoy you. You don't want to be around. Do something nice for them. This is the thing. You can't be a Christian if you're also a jerk. It doesn't work. It's oil and water. If you're a jerk, people won't know who you are, and, know, and neither will God know who you are. We don't have any excuses. The pandemic isn't an excuse to be a jerk. Politics aren't an excuse to be a jerk. Children of God have to be known for love, which means they have to be known for being kind, even and especially with people who disagree with you. So first thing is be kind. Second thing, be obedient. Now, I was, when I was studying Joseph in this story, looking a little closer, there's a lot of really good characteristics about Joseph. And one is that he was obedient. And we see in the initial verse that Joseph was kind. He could have thrown Mary under the bus, but instead he decided to, like... Be kind. I know it said he was going to divorce her in secret, but the reason why he was going to do that in secret was so that, so that she wouldn't be shamed in public. He didn't have to, but he chose to do that. But then we move on in this verse, Matthew 1, 20 and 21. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. This is an angel came to him in a dream. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sin. See, Joseph had a choice to make when he woke up from that dream. He had a choice. He was already, his plans were already to divorce in secret, to break off the engagement in secret. That was nice. Right? That was a good, nice thing to do. It was reasonable. But then he had this encounter. He had this experience where an angel came. It wasn't old pizza that he ate the night before and had some weird dream. It was a definite, the Holy Spirit is speaking. The, he sent an angel of the Lord and he talked to you in a dream. He's like, dang, now I have to make a choice. This is the thing about being obedient. A lot, a lot of times we choose disobedience over, over obedience simply because we don't have all of the answers. 
We say, I don't want to do that because we don't have the five steps that it's going to take to get to where God wants us to be. God puts big dreams on our hearts, and we choose to just sit in a chair and not get up and move because we don't know how we're going to do it all. This is the thing. If you've got a dream that you can do all by yourself, it's probably not a dream from God. If you have all of, all of the resources, all of the talent, you've got all of the connections to make whatever it is that you're wanting to do in your life, if you have all of it figured out, it's probably not from God. And if you're not sitting on the edge of yikes every once in a while in your life, you're probably boring the Holy Spirit. We've got to learn to obey even when, it's, even when it's scary, even when it doesn't make sense. Joseph had no idea what people were going to say. He had no idea what was going to happen. An angel came to him and said, you are going to be the step up dad to the son of God. What the heck am I supposed to teach God? But he just jumped in with both feet. It's obedience. This is the big truth about this, is the power of God to work in our lives is directly connected with our ability to listen and obey the word of the Lord. I'm going to say it one more time because that was a bit of a mouthful. The power of God to work in our lives is directly connected to our ability to listen and obey. Why isn't God... Why isn't God working in my life? I've heard so many people, oh yeah, I tried that Christianity thing. It just didn't work out for me. You mean the, hold on, you're telling me the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything that we know, the thousands of species of trees. God created a bug that like spits stuff out of his behind and it makes webs that pound for pound is stronger than any steel we can make we can fabricate but god isn't good enough or big enough or strong enough to fix your life man your life must really be a wreck the problem isn't the power of god the po- the problem isn't the reality of god the problem is our ability to obey when we don't understand john 10:27 my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me Some of us aren't obedient because we haven't made a habit of hearing the voice of the Lord. We don't recognize the voice of the Lord because we're not in constant communication with Him the way we ought to be. And then some of us aren't obedient to the Lord because we hear, but we just decide we want to do things our way. John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my commands. And my Father will love him, and I will come to him and make a home with him. I love this scripture in 1 Samuel 15, 23. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Do you know why obedience is better than sacrifice? Because you can surrender things without surrendering your will but you can't surrender your will without surrendering your things. Sacrifice is surrendering things. It's saying, you know what? I'm going to give up this five bucks. It's going to hurt a little bit because I'm not going to get my Frappuccino on the way home. I think Frappuccinos are probably like six or seven bucks anyway. (laughs) But obedience is surrendering your life, your will. You know when we pray? We say, in Jesus' name. You know what that means? By the, in Jesus' name, it means whatever God's will, whatever Jesus' will for my life is. Then we say, amen. You know what amen means? So be it. So essentially, when we say, in Jesus' name, amen, it's a short way of saying, whatever Jesus' will for my life is, so be it. Here's all my things that I want. Here are the things that I need. These are the, these are the uh, obstacles that are in my life that I would love for you to, you know, to, to impact, to change. But you know what? Whatever your will for my life is, let that happen. Amen. 
We've got to surrender our will, not just our things. There's a story in Acts 5. I'm going to summarize a bit. It's Acts 5, 1 through 11. There's this guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, and um, they sold their property, some land. And essentially what they did was they gave a good portion of the earnings from that sale to the church, but they kept some for themselves, which I don't think is really all that bad, right? Has anybody in here sold a house before and gave like half of what you made off of it? Probably not. So they actually, we like to point fingers at them, but they actually did more than most of us. But the problem, the problem was they, they sold their property and said that they were giving everything. The problem wasn't that they only gave a portion. The problem is that they were pretenders. The pro- and that's the problem with so many churchgoers as well. We give up a lot of things in order to camouflage the will that we're trying to hold on to. The truth is a little disobedience is still disobedience. So we've got be kind. We've got to be obedient. And these, all these things, remember, all these things are things that Joseph is doing in the middle of chaos. His world is falling apart. History is, I mean, the um, history is just in a crazy time with Herod. His life is, is chaotic. He thought he was about to marry this girl. They were going to have a nice little family. He, ha- he probably had part of his life laid out. But then, then, now he's going to be father to the son of God. And he's still able to do these things. If Joseph is able to be kind and Joseph is able to obey, then we've got to be that too. Lastly, we've got to be tough. You know, Jesus' father, Joseph, didn't have it easy after Jesus was born. Truthfully, it got a bit worse. <laughs> so I know a lot of times we um, have like wise men or magi at like the nativity scene. Just for the record, they actually weren't there. It took them a quite a bit longer to get there. And people, people ask questions like, why are they, why do we put those in the nativity scene? It's kind of like any, anybody ever like watch a movie that you've read the book to? It took you like a month to read that book, but like two hours to watch the movie. Of course, they're going to leave some stuff out. Otherwise, the movie would be like 12 hours long and nobody would ever want to watch it. So we, that's the same reason why we put Wiseman. Well, we don't know that there were three. Yeah, but we don't know there were a hundred. So like three fit in the nativity scene. So let's just, let's go with three. I think sometimes Christians just argue over stupid stuff. Like, let's not argue over dumb stuff. We don't know that there weren't three. So that's why we see, like, the Magi. But the Magi came much later on in the story, years later, and they warn, uh, they warn Joseph and Mary about some things. We learn in Matthew 2 that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus had to flee to Egypt. Um, an angel again appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to take his family to Egypt as Herod was going to search for Jesus to kill him. Once again, Joseph, the father of Jesus, was obedient. We see that again. Then we move to Joseph 2.16 where he proclaims, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the magi or the kings or the wise men, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Joseph once again listened to an angel who appeared in another dream. I imagine at this point it's like starting to get a little more normal. <laughs> like, oh, it's you again. The angel told Jesus' father to take the family back to Israel. Eventually, by following promptings, the family ended up in Nazareth. In addition to listening to God, this chapter encourages us to what? 
persevere. Push on. Things are going to get tough. You're going to have to move. You're going to have obstacles. You're going to have things that stand in your way. The truth is life won't always be easy. But if we seek God and listen to his voice and we obey, we'll end up exactly where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. John 16, 33, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world, this is incredible. You will have trouble. He promises it. Guaranteed, things are going to go wrong. You're going to get in fights. Things aren't going to go your way. People are going to betray you. People are going to rob you. People are going to neglect you. People are going to say they love you, but they're going to leave you. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a guarantee. He put a stamp on it. I love it because Jesus isn't, he isn't selling anything. He's not saying, hey, follow me, be a disciple, be kind, obey, and everything will always be perfect. He said, you know what? You're going to obey me. You're going to be kind. You're going to love people, and things are still going to fall apart. Still. But, but I, the one thing about the word like but or however is what that does is it erases everything that's before it. If anybody ever says, I love you, but run, just run, get out. I love you, but in this world, you will have trouble, but that's a big backspace. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Have courage. Be of good faith. Don't give up. I've already overcome it all. He told us about where he says, I have told you these things. What, what are these things? If you look back, he's talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection. Why, why is he talking about those? Why is he saying so that you'll have peace? Why should that bring us peace? Because even in our chaos, even in our chaos, if we let it, our chaos can bring us purpose. If you're in chaos right now, Choose to persevere. Choose to get tough. Choose to push on. And let, especially men, choose to push on and let your family see you. You're in financial struggle? Get a better job. Or get a job. I'm going to talk to men just for a second. And I talk to men like we're men. Okay, I don't like to like fluff it up. I don't, I don't bedazzle it because we're men. And I think part of the problem with men is we don't get to talk to men like men anymore because a lot of men don't grow up. They're a bunch of boys that have facial hair. So I'm going to talk to men like men for just a second. I have a very hard, I'm going to be very honest and transparent with you. I have a very difficult time, very difficult time respecting men who just won't work. I have a very difficult time. There's no, there's no excuse. Well, I need to get paid what I'm worth. I'll tell you what you're worth. You're worth whatever somebody will pay you. And if that hurts, oh well. It's supposed to hurt. Oh man, that's, that stings. Well, you can do two things. Two things when something stings. You can either let it sting or you can move. Let it move you. Oh, that hurt. I'm going to get in a different lane. I'm going to start moving. When you're riding a horse, if it's not going fast enough, you know what you do? Kick it. You know what it does? It runs faster. If I just said something that stings a little bit, start running a little faster. Guys, guys, men. I hear men say a lot, man, I just need my wife to respect me. She doesn't respect me. This is my honest question to everybody that ever says this. What are you doing that's worth respecting? It's an honest question. It's not, just, it's not just a kick. I'm not trying to kick people when they're down, but it's an honest question. Why should you respect you? Why should she respect you if you're not doing anything worth respecting? And if you're not doing anything worth respecting, then maybe you need to change that. Do something that's difficult. Some people, some guys don't do things that are difficult because they lack confidence. You know how, you want to know how to get more confidence in your life? Have small moments 
that require some courage. Small, regular moments of, that require courage. Even little things. So how can we turn our chaos into purpose? How can we bring purpose in our chaos? First thing we got to do is change our minds. Romans 12, 2, don't conform yourselves to the patterns of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to transform your life, your whole entire life? How do you do it? You change your mind. It's been said, people who can't change their minds can't change anything. Starts in the mind. Anybody ever go out to restaurants? Like you got your favorite restaurant or a restaurant you regularly go to? And the waitress comes around and they're like, hey, you want the regular? Like, yeah, I'll have that. Uh, yeah, I'll get the quesadillas. It's fine. <laughs> but then as they're, this may have happened before. But then as they're like making their way around the table, you notice they got new specials. And you're like, man, those new specials look kind of good. That no Mexican poke bowls existed. <laughs> this may or may not have happened <laughs> fairly recently. So they're making their way around, and you're like, man, should I speak up? Should I change my mind? I think I changed my mind. The, the poke bowl is probably going to be better for me. You can even get it with cauliflower rice. It's at Guad's just down the street. <laughs> Shameless plug for Guad's. <laughs> It's probably better for me. It's probably not going to hit so hard in my stomach. I'm not going to want to go home and take a nap. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel better. And some of us just let it slip and we're like, oh, man, I'll just go with the quesadilla because that's what I always do. Right? But that translates over to life too. Some of us, like, we've been getting the same thing, doing the same thing, having all the same experiences and wondering why our lives haven't changed. And you see the special, you're like, man, that would probably be way better for me. But you're just not willing to make the change. As simple as it sounds, changing our minds literally changes everything. Changing your mind is the difference between success and repeating failures. So how do we change our minds? The first thing is take 100% responsibility for your life. Stop blaming other people for your situation. It is your, your problem, your fault. Well, somebody did something to me. Okay, so you can, keep, you can keep victimizing yourself or you can decide to dust yourself off and start taking steps forward. But you don't know. I don't know. You're right. And I'm going to sympathize with you. And if somebody hurt you, then, man, they shouldn't have hurt you. But you should choose to not let them hurt you every day for the rest of your life. Amen. Take responsibility for your life. This is a, one, a wonderful thing. If you can embrace the idea that what happens in your life is your fault, say, man, that is so incredibly freeing and empowering. Because if it's your fault, then you can do something about it. If it's somebody else's fault, you can't control them. But if it's your fault, you can move, you can, ch you can change. Are you broke? Get a better job. Take responsibility. Is your marriage a mess? Stop being mean and forgive. Take 100% responsibility. Well, he should just, she should just take 100% responsibility for you, for your life. Second thing, focus on your why. Five of the most important days of your life that you were born, when you gave your life to Christ, when you got married, when you became a parent, and the day you started living for your why. When you, you decided, this is what I'm here for. A lot of us live for our what's, not for our why's. 
We've got to get really, really tough. You know the difference between a scar and a tattoo? Scars have cooler stories. I got this scar right above my eye. I've had like, like 14 fights. Never had a scar on my face from any of my fights. I've got two scars on my face from youth group. <laughs> People want to tell me fighting is dangerous. Like, you should, you should go to youth group sometime. I got this one on my eyebrow. Um, I was wrestling with a kid. Okay, we were wrestling in youth group. But um, we were just wrestling around, and he accidentally kicked me in the face. It's just, I heard it, like, pop. Anybody hear that before? And I was like, oh, and I'm cut. I'm bleeding. And I had to, like, rush to patient first. And um, I was the youth pastor at the time speaking every Wednesday night. So, like, it was before youth group had started. So I get to patient first, and they're like, okay, it's going to be six stitches. I was like, all right, can you guys, like, hurry up, though? I got to go back and preach. (laughs) (laughs) Scars are fun. I've I've got a scar on my elbow. Again, it was wrestling where I shouldn't have been wrestling. But I was at a youth camp with one of my buddies, and we were just wrestling around and, like, bumped my elbow. Scars tell stories. In a way, they help, like, help you remember things. They give you memories. And some of us are so afraid of getting bumps and bruises and scars that we literally don't live our lives. When we can look back and say, yeah, man, that was that one scar where I was broke absolutely broke had no money in the bank (laughs) but now look at us you know gotta get tough we gotta be willing we gotta be willing to have some scars i think churches ought to have bruises and scars i think we ought to have scars because what do they do there it's a scar and a bruise is a proof that you actually did something. Yeah. You know, we got to embrace the grind. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we, re- we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice. Listen to this. We rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering, what produces endurance? And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So suffering, to endurance, to character, and to hope. Succeeding in your suffering gives you confidence for tomorrow. Succeeding in your grind, in your chaos, will give you confidence for the next chaos. Remember, Jesus promised you will have trouble. So when you navigate through it, you don't throw in the towel, you don't quit and say, you know what, I'm done. When you're able to get through, what I found is honestly like, when my doubt is as high as it can be, and I've lost just about all the faith I have, but I'm just holding on, and I feel like I'm hanging on by a thread, that's when God's like, hey, by the way, I'm still here. We're almost, you know, we're a few weeks out from Christmas. One of my favorite, one of my favorite Christmases was a few years ago. And like, I was, we were leading worship on a Sunday, um, and it was, uh, Christmas Eve and like, we're singing, I don't even remember what songs we were singing, but I'm just in tears, just bawling because, but what nobody in the room knew was that me and my wife had been trying to have a baby for almost 10 years. And on Christmas Eve morning, my wife on a whim after taking I don't know, dozens and dozens of pregnancy tests and getting negative after negative after negative. She just on a whim was like, "Ah, we've been, you know, 
I might as well take the test. It would be a shame to hit the holiday season and go through Christmas and, and when we could be celebrating this, but who knows. See, we had done all the fertility treatment. We had like, we were going to a doctor in Charlottesville. We were driving like three, three and a half hours, one way to get to this doctor. And we screwed up all the medication. <laughs> she was like taking shots and like all this stuff and like, just bless her. I mean, like, it was just, it was a mess and we messed up. And she was like, I might as well take this test. It's probably negative. Every other one's been negative. We screwed up the medication. It wasn't working the last six months on this medication. Why would it work now? Takes the test and boom, it was a positive. It was the best. It was the best ever. The best ever. Why am I telling you this? Is because like looking back, man, those were some tough times. Being transparent, it's really hard to be a youth pastor who wants to have a kid really bad and you have teenagers in your youth group that are getting pregnant on accident. And I want to be a dad so bad, so bad. I'm like, God, I'm doing everything right, (laughs) you know. But looking back, I wouldn't trade it for a moment. Because at just the right time, God's going to come through for you. At just the right time, at just the right time, if you're willing to say yes, if you're willing to be obedient, if you're willing to embrace, embrace the suffering, this is the thing. If you are going through chaos right now, you should be excited. It's hard to hear and it's hard to do that in the middle of your chaos. It's really hard to do it. But from the outside in, from that like helicopter view, from somebody that's been through and had everybody say, had a lot of people say, even yourself say, it's never going to happen. You're going through that grind, man. Embrace it. Celebrate when you're going through suffering. Because what comes next? Endurance. When you go through a mountain, when the next one shows up, it's not, it's not as hard. You look at it and say, you look back and see where you've come from. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to get ready to close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, thank you for this word. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Joseph. Thank you for Joseph. And the lessons, even in the the minimal scriptures that he's mentioned. We learn so much of how we ought to be when we face chaos. I'm going to invite some people to come pray, and we're going to keep this real simple, and we're just going to pray a prayer of repentance. All right? Repentance for first... Anybody that says, you know what? I have been a jerk for a long time. I've been a jerk for a long time. I'm not nice to my wife. I'm not nice to my kids. Nobody at my work likes me. You mean mug everybody. And your excuses, you're just putting up walls because you've been hurt in the past. Come and repent. Not just say, I'm sorry. Coming down and and repenting is making a commitment to not doing that anymore. I'm not going to live like that. We're going to also repent for not being obedient. There's something that God's put on your heart and you're just saying, I can't because. Or how. I'm just not moving. It's like, when you want to go swimming, but the water's just a little bit cold, you know what you got to do? Just jump in. Just jump in. Don't think about it. Don't, don't put your little toe in the water to test it. Just jump in. 
Be obedient to what God has for you. The Word of God says He's got big, extraordinary things for your life. We just got to be willing to say, yes, okay, I'm a servant. You're the Lord. When we say you're Lord, it means you are owner. You own my life. We don't always understand that because Lord isn't like really a term we use, but that's what it means. You own my life. So we're going to we're going to apologize for not being tough, for being cowards, for allowing our fears and our feelings to dictate how we're going to live. I'm going to pray, and if you'd like to come and pray a prayer of repentance, we've got some people who are going to pray with you. As I pray, go ahead and start moving. We've got some people that are coming now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for um, loving us so much that you won't let us stay the same. You love us so much that you challenge us. And sometimes things sting a little bit. God, I pray that you would move right now on hearts. God, help us to have new minds when we walk out. Help us to be focused on loving people, being kind, caring for people, finding needs and meeting them. God, help us, help us to be known for saying yes to you. Just a resounding yes and okay. Just an echo of, I'm a servant of the Lord. God, help us. God, help us to be tough. Help us to dig our feet in. Help us to plant our feet and embrace the suffering because we know it's there on purpose. God, we repent. We're going to live our lives different. We're not going to be jerks. We're not going to be disobedient. We're going to listen to your voice. We're going to know your voice. God, we're going to persevere and we're going to overcome. We love you in Jesus' name. Jesus will be done. Amen.